You're listening to an audio dispatch from No Borders Media. On this dispatch, we get context and perspective about immigration detention and the Canada Border Services Agency in the aftermath of the public confirmation of the death of Bolante Edawu Alo, killed in CBSA custody at the Calgary airport while resisting his deportation. For context on Alo's death, other deaths in CBSA custody, as well as challenging immigration detention itself, No Borders Media speaks with Mina Ramos, a longtime organizer with the End Immigration Detention Network, who has organized with detainees resisting deportation and the CBSA. This interview was recorded on August 17, 2018. I'm talking with Mina Ramos. Mina is a longtime organizer with the End Immigration Detention Network. Uh, Mina is based in Ontario and has been active over the past several years in supporting migrants who are facing detention, and particularly migrants who are facing indefinite detention, in the hands often of the Canada Border Services Agency or the CBSA. Mina, thanks for speaking with us on No Borders Media. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Mina, unfortunately, the, the pretext for our conversation is, is something that's tragic and sad and infuriating. It's the death in CBSA custody in Calgary last week of a man whose name wasn't being revealed, but now it's out. Uh, his, his name is uh, Balante Alo, uh, originally from Nigeria, who had lived in Canada for over 10 years, was trying to regularize his status, and had made it really clear that he did not want to be deported, and that was clear. And when the deportation happened, the media is referring to some sort of altercation, but it resulted in his death. Um, and I'm speaking with you because that is obviously not the first time that has happened in CBSA custody. There have been a variety of deaths. Um, it's something that's often hidden from mainstream reality here in Canada. So talk talk a bit about that role of the CBSA and deaths in CBSA custody. Yeah, sure. I mean, I just want to preface with what you were saying that it is terrible that deaths have to happen in order to talk about what is going on in CBSA custody, what's going on um, when people are detained, when they're detained in holding centers, when there was CBSA at the point of deportation, um, and then when people in detention are being held in um, different prisons across the country, because usually it takes that to have an outcry of any sort. And a lot of times, as you mentioned, there's not even an outcry or things don't get released to the media or people's names are not even released to the media. There's a lot of people who have passed um, in the last like short of 20 years who are unnamed or unknown. Uh, So there's a lot of information missing on that, but it sucks we have to get to here to even question CBSA and the types of things that they're doing when they have people um, apprehended. But I mean, in general, it has been a big issue. Like in 2016 alone, there were four deaths um, with people who are either held in holding centers or in different provincial prisons um, across Canada. And since 2000, there has been 16 deaths um, of people who have been held in detention. And so this is not something that is an anomaly. Um, It is something that is happening and it is something that is escalating. Um, And I want to highlight something that people were talking about after the deaths in 2016. The BC Civil Liberties Association actually released a report 
saying, or they released a statement, it wasn't a report, it was a statement saying that there needed to be an oversight body, that there were too many deaths, that CBSA has no civilian oversight body, they have nothing that's worth watching over them to keep them accountable. And then the government responded in 2017, I think it was, and was like, you know what, you're right, we're going to make something happen. They did a little bit of media on it, and then it just disappeared. And now you have another death in 2018. You have the same response um, from different civil liberties associations, specifically the BC Civil Liberties Association has spoken up once again. You have the government responding and it's like, well, is anything going to happen? Um, Because there's always that, you know, that call out and that response. And then we see nothing. So it's like, what is actually going to happen? Because even though this is what we hear and it gets to these deaths, you know, when I was organizing a lot um, with the End Immigration Detention Network, um, we, we had an active phone line that people would call. And they would tell us some of the things that he was highlighting, you know, like, if I get deported, I will be sent to my death. So I, I can't go back. Like, I will do something drastic. Like, we did speak to people who, in order to stop themselves um, from being detained, they would injure themselves or they would create conflict um, or they would do things because they were at such a risk. And CBSA officials don't know how to handle that or they would sometimes escalate the situation by the ways that they would respond. And there's so little released in this situation with the man who was um, Balante Alo, who was going to be deported to Nigeria to actually know how they responded. To that, All we know is that they were told he warned them that this would happen, and they still made it happen anyways. And that's a very troubling thing when you think of the situation that people are in, that they're telling you that they would be sent back in danger and that they could take things into their own hands if they were deported. Uh, some some journalists um, from CBC were able to get uh, transcripts of different hearings and um, proceedings in Belante Allo's case, and just to, just to quote some of the things he said, this is stuff that was reported um, when finally Belante Allo's name was learned and his lawyer, his family's lawyer, as well as members of his community, his church, uh, were speaking out on his behalf. But he said, this is a life and death issue. You are sending me to my death. It's like you're asking me to drive into a ditch. It's very dangerous for me. At another hearing, he said, I understand that you have concerns that I will cause an issue that will disrupt my removal. You are absolutely correct about this. I will cause a big issue and will not go. And I think one way of reframing these deaths in CBSA custody, I mean, each and every death is an individual person who's unique and has unique circumstances. But I think the general thing here is these are people who are resisting their deportations. And we throw out that word a lot, resistance and you know stopping deportations. But these are literally people on the front line, the people directly affected resisting their deportations and they can't speak for themselves anymore, but it sort of is a is a clarion call to us to sort of organize around it. And um, I know you have uh, with the End Immigration Detention Network. And before getting into that and the broader perspective, I do want to maybe stay on the deaths in CBS custody. You did talk about how some more mainstream um, civil liberties and NGO-style groups, not just the BCCLA, but also Amnesty and the rest of them are talking about mm-hmm. having oversight. There seemed to have been a little bit of a change when um, the death of Lucia Vega Jimenez happened in December yep. of 2013, and in 2014, people began to talk about that. She she committed suicide, but clearly she committed suicide in a context of despair of the potential of facing deportation, and she committed suicide in a CBSA cell. 
So uh, just if you can maybe talk more about that trajectory of what our demands should be right now. Uh, if these mm-hmm. mainstream groups are asking for oversight, I'm sure that means for those of us doing radical grassroots stuff, we should be asking for a lot more. In the U.S., when families were right. separated, people moved very quickly from families belonging together to abolish immigration and customs enforcement. So mm-hmm. um, let's talk about uh, some of the formulations and demands we should be having in these situations. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, as you mentioned, after Lucia's death, there was a coroner's inquest. Um, and when the coroner's inquest came out, there was a long list of recommendations. Um, and the recommendations, they, they were good. You know, they did point out that CBSA officers were not handling things appropriately. They pointed out that there were so many things lacking in these holding centers, that there was no access to counseling, that there was sometimes not even access to international calling, which seems ridiculous. And that like simple things that would put people in a very depressed state, right? Um, but I think this often becomes like a super tricky conversation. And and to be honest, it, to, it, to me, it's not tricky, but to a lot of people, it is tricky because when we're responding to these deaths, it's like we're some people go into the path of talking like almost like harm reduction. Well, how do we make this situation a little bit more livable? Um, And how do we make this situation so people make it to their deportation and they stay alive? Um, But really, when you look at them and when you look at the response um, to Lucia Vega Jimenez's death, you see now that they're building because they are building a new holding center in Vancouver um, with the money that Ralph Goodale allotted, um, the $138 million he allotted to build new holding centers. um, They are putting like 24 uh, 24-hour access counseling if you need it. And they are putting bigger windows and they are putting bigger cells or more space, stuff like that. But that stuff doesn't matter. Like, at the, it does matter. Like, it does matter in that situation. I shouldn't say it doesn't matter because it does. Like, so many people, so many detainees have come forward to talk about, like, how immigration detention affects, like, mental health and how it just debilitates people. Um I mean, there was, I was going to mention it, like a a study that was released in 2015 by the University of Toronto, and it specifically talked on how immigration detention and how people are held affects people's mental health and how it does get to a situation where people are so desperate, um, where they do do things, where they'll take extra risks to either resist or end their lives or hurt themselves to make things a little bit more bearable, right? And I think that's a huge part of this conversation. But even if you make things a little bit more livable, the fact is that people are still in detention and that is what's causing all of this stress. That is what's causing all of this despair in the first place. So it doesn't, it it does help marginally, you know, like obviously I don't want to say that like, no, these things are not helpful. Like people should have access to counseling. People should have access to spiritual services. Like people should have access to international callings and they should have a little bit of sunlight in their lives. Those are basic, decent things that every human being should have, but they also shouldn't be locked up in the first place. So it's like, we, we can have this conversation and yes, it is important to push those things. Um, and make sure those things are there in their intermediate. But like the bigger issue is that people are, are even in these situations. And, f- you know, for um, uh, Belante Allo in his situation where he has to make a choice to resist in that way that could result in a death before he even gets to Nigeria. Like that is and I've talked to he's not an isolated incident. I have 
talked to hundreds of people um, on the phone line that I used to work with who would ask themselves that, that very same question, like the night before their deportation, am I going to resist this in some way so I can stay a little bit longer and hopefully stay with my families, but take that risk of not knowing how CBSA officers will respond if I resist my deportation, or am I going to go? And that is a tough question to ask because you don't know how these people will respond. And in the eyes of immigration detainees and and surely in the eyes of the organizers, they're not good people. They're not good people and they don't respond kindly when someone resists to a deportation, right? So it's like, yes, there has been responses, but I don't think that those responses are enough because it's still not addressing the issue of indefinite immigration detention and immigration detention as a whole. Mina, your answer just there um, uh, reminds me, uh, I, recently North Borders Media has been doing interviews with various abolish ICE camps, uh, Occupy ICE camps um, in the U.S., in San Antonio, in Detroit, in Portland, in Louisville. Mm-hmm. And several people have come to the same phrase, which is that our struggle is about opposing the world that ICE represents, or if we're going to transpose that to Canada, opposing the world that CBSA represents. So clearly... We need to practice harm reduction <laughs> as we wait to create that new world. But, you know, our struggle needs to encompass that. And you, you've addressed that really well. One other little point I want to make before moving into sort of the bigger perspective detention and stuff that you've been organizing around is that beyond this harm reduction approach, one of the things that the liberals want to do now is have more people on GPS devices. Right. So sort of mm-hmm. um, have them detained, but on the outside. And again, this is sort of a seemingly gentler, kinder kind of detention. But all it really means is like sort of having slightly slightly bigger jail cells but that's that doesn't fundamentally question this what's what's happening and ultimately people will end up in the situation that Alo is in or was in with with tragic consequences of course mm-hmm. so let's talk about the the broader struggle here and and you've alluded to it a couple of times now but you know the the fight against detention what not just indefinite detention which you've been active uh, on, in opposing for many years and have made links with people on the inside who, were, who started the organizing themselves, but, um, you know, getting rid of this whole regime. So maybe let's, let's put the, let's put the, um, the recent uh, death of Olo into perspective. So talk about that, that larger perspective mm-hmm. of detention. Sure. I mean, I think like one thing um, I wanted to mention too, in terms of like the, the, the whole conversation with harm reduction and, and I guess conditions, like when, when you talk to people in prison, it's always the conversation between a change of conditions and liberation itself. And, and I mean, and it's not, it's not an easy conversation. And that's why I say it's tricky because like at the end of the day, like for me, um, as someone who's like, I'm here, I'm talking to you about it because I had my experience working alongside people. I haven't gone through immigration detention. You know what I'm saying? So it's much easier for me to be like, well, of course, like it's about this bigger picture and we need to like abolish, you know, immigration detention as a whole. Like we all know that. But when you're in it, it looks so different. Um, And it is for someone who's been detained for maybe, you know, some of the guys we work with have been detained or like organized with have been detained for like anywhere from a year to eight years the conversation about conditions becomes a much bigger thing, right? And even the conversation about ankle bracelets, like I've worked with, or I keep saying worked with, but I haven't worked with anybody. I've organized with people who are very for ankle bracelets when they're in detention, 
right? Like when they're in that situation, because it's like, I just need to get out of prison. And I think you mentioned that like so eloquently is that even now without the ankle bracelets, when people get out, a lot of the people we've organized with who are now organizers on the outside, when they get out, they realize even without the ankle bracelets, life is still a bigger prison. Like it's not like you get out of detention and detention is over. People still don't have status. A lot of individuals who we organize with don't have status. People still have to be signing in with CBSA. People have a hard time getting, you know, driver's permits, um, like workers' permits, getting jobs, especially when they have to be signing into CBSA and the bail program. And then there's just all the psychological trauma that people have to live with because of all the years that they lived not knowing what, what was going to happen with their lives, let alone the idea of a monitoring device that's stuck to you all the time. Um, and, and we're finding that, that like it is difficult for people to go back to their regular lives like after this experience with immigration detention. One, one more thing in terms of like the conversation of harm reduction and like what the governments are, are proposing and or sorry, what the federal government is proposing in terms of bringing in some things that are for better conditions that's, that we have to understand is that this is happening at the very same time that CBSA is expanding. Right. And so it's like in 2016, you have all these deaths and you have this coroner's inquest and they say they're going to change all these things. And at the very same time, and they're proposing increases to CBSA's budget. I mean, since 2016, the budget has increased by 10 percent. They make now where they allot in their budget a little over two billion dollars and approved uh, 200 and something million dollars more in 2017. So that just goes to show when you look at the numbers that they don't actually care about these deaths that are happening, right? Like we see that these deaths are happening in CBSA custody and the government is saying that they understand and they're saying that they understand that it's a problem and they're saying that they want to put in um, different things that are going to make people's lives better marginally. But then at the very same time, they're increasing the budget um, and they're increasing power and control for these people who are actively murdering people at the end of the day. That's what it is. This is murder. Right. Um, and so when you look at those two things, it becomes very clear that the government will say that they can just they, they'll change some things. Right. Um, in terms of the bigger picture of detentions, I mean, immigration detention, the scope of immigration detention has changed a lot, um, even in the last five years that people have been organizing. There are a lot less people um in long-term detention like when hunger strikes were happening in the lindsay prison alone where a lot of organizing was happening there was you know a little over 200 immigration detainees in that prison alone now it's very difficult um to get or to be able to have immigration detainees to organize because there's very little immigration detainees in long-term detention and that's a good thing it's a good thing that through all of the organizing that's been happening, that people have been getting released. I mean, a lot of people have been getting deported. Um, some people by choice, some people not. But people are not experiencing long-term immigration detention in such high numbers as they were before. That being said, people are being deported quicker, right? And that's a problem. And it's a problem because it is harder for people to respond and to mobilize and people don't really have a chance to talk about what's going on with them, 
right? And so it's like, let's just quickly get people out of here. And even in the situation with long-term detention, it is also harder to mobilize because so many rules have changed. Like in the past, um, if you knew someone who was in, in immigration detention, you could just go and visit. You could just show up to the jail and go up and visit. Now you have to be on a list. And if you're not pre-approved on that list, then you can't just show up and visit. So it makes it harder for people to go and check up on people and see like what's going on with you if you're not on that list. And of course, people are going to prioritize family. Um, same things with phone calls, like TRAP is, which was our, the detainee support line, uh, which is how we mobilized with people in long-term immigration detention. It can't really work anymore because same thing. If you want to make a phone call, now you have to have a pre-approved list. And people, of course, are going to prioritize their family. It's, it's a very small number that you can have on the list. So, And for new people who are coming into detention, um, they're not necessarily going to know that number right away. And it takes time to change that number. And so just mobilizing, even though there have been successes and there are less people in long-term immigration detention, it is also just more difficult. You know, you talk about all the mobilizing that's going on in the States. Right now in Canada, that work hasn't been done to strategize on how do we mobilize with people who are in short-term detention when people are being deported so quickly? Um, and I think that's a question we're still trying to answer. <laughs> not really sure how to answer it. Um, but it is a problem because so many people are still crossing the borders. A lot of people are crossing on foot. You saw people who are, um, the, the Haitians who are coming in from the States when the um, the ban was happening, people who were crossing at port of entries, right? This is still something that's happening, but we're still a lot of organizers, I think, and maybe you can speak on this too, are figuring out how to respond and mobilize um, accordingly. Yeah, there's a lot there. It's 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 you've shared a lot of really important food for thought. One 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 thing I guess I want to add is just um, to go back to one of the earlier points you made about the mental torture that this involves. So it reminded me of uh, of an activist here. He passed away unfortunately in in 2017. Uh, he had been out of detention and had regularized his status and what have you. His name is Arash Aslani, but he was somebody who undertook a hunger strike back when he was detained in 2006 um, mm -hmm. and leveraged that to get out. So a lot of the tactics that the people that you were organizing with in Lindsay and Metro West, uh, that was something that Arash did in isolation. But one thing Arash talked about is the mental torture. And it wasn't like a mental torture mm -hmm. for him that was about people being mean. It was like a mental torture and like this pretending niceness, you know, like you're still behind cells and you have a number, but like you're, you know, they're trying to treat you supposedly more humane within that context. And he's like, that just ends up being a form of torture because freedom does not mean being behind those bars. <laughs> and, right. um, uh, and I guess as we're trying to sort this stuff out, reminding ourselves and grounding ourselves in that resistance <laughs> and analysis that's produced by folks organically who experience that system. So some of those folks can't speak anymore because they died <laughs> in CBSA custody or for other reasons, and, and others are facing extraordinary marginalization, which isn't helped by you know these tactics that you just described about... Um, you know, uh, preventing people from having open visits and what have you. For me right now, and, you know, to sort of answer your, not answer your question, but more to um, address, like, where do we go? For me, one thing is just to maybe amplify these voices. Because on the other end of the spectrum, the far right, they're just a complete demonization, you know, of border crossers, mm -hmm. of refugees and migrants. This leveraging, I mean, uh, 
Premier Doug Ford has played into this, where he's trying to leverage sort of saying like, well, if these irregular crosses are coming, that means we can't help homeless people or there's going to be a shortage of housing. This this um, divide and rule tactic. And that to me is a basic challenge. And I wish we could get beyond that. <laughs> but unfortunately, mm-hmm. I see the effect it has even in, you know, in so-called progressive settings like Toronto or Montreal, where people are now starting to blame border crossers and um, beyond people who are who've crossed the border, like the so-called lowest of the lower, the people who are the most marginalized, the people who are detained um, and detained for for something that they might have done that that resulted in having a criminal record. So um, that that humanization of folks is is essential. Um, uh, and I know it's basic, but that, that's important. And I know that's basically what you guys have been doing with Eden, the End Immigration Detention Network, for like for years, mm-hmm. um, to get those yeah. voices out and to humanize folks and to say, look, there's a struggle going on against odds that those of us who are on the outside and have citizenship would never be able to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a big thing to mention too, just like how the conversation around immigration detention has changed like before I mean you mentioned like Doug Ford is premier now and that's shifting the conversation once again but I remember in 20 when all this started in 2014 um, or in 2013 2013 was when the hunger strike started um, aside from a handful of migrant justice organizers um, people were not really talking about immigration detention it wasn't something that a lot of these like bigger NGOs and funded NGOs and like you know I mentioned the BC Civil Liberties Organization like organizations that are well known or like well respected they didn't want to touch this issue they said it was too radical they said it was you know you're dealing with people who have committed crimes in some senses or it's just too complex and that narrative changed a lot like over the last five years, immigration detention has become something that people recognize as bad in a lot of cases, um, in most cases. And so that has changed. And I think what you mentioned is is super true that like we have to make sure that that doesn't go back, you know, Um, especially when before it was like, well, there's 200 people hunger striking. They must be hunger striking for something. Right. And especially as these deaths started to come out, I think that really did and people started making statements on the inside and people were actually friends with people who were um were passing like that happened in the case of Abdurrahman Ibrahim Hassan right when he um passed in 2015 and he had a lot of friends in the Lindsay prison where he was being held and they released a statement that had you know um I can't remember how many signatures I think it had like maybe 50 signatures and they, they were all detainees themselves who were putting their names on the line to say we oppose this you know and i think that really got people to kind of stop and see like whoa wait a minute these are people and they are going through this and this is a terrible thing um and as kind of just politics are changing so much i think it's important to keep that like what you're saying to keep that going because it took so long to build and take this thing that was happening that not very many people in the mainstream knew about um and turn it into like a, a, it, an issue because it obviously it was always an issue um, to not let it go back, you know, even though the scope of immigration detention is changing. There's so many things we can explore, Mina, but uh, we've done a lot already. 
And I'm sure we'll speak again. Um, you know, one of the mandates of No Borders Media is to just get into get into these issues. But I, I think um, just to go back to the initial pretext for this conversation, which was the death of Bolante Allo, I know you know this, but one of the things I think we've learned from these deaths is that CBSA would prefer to keep these things statistics, where people don't have names, they don't have personalities, we don't know any details. But because of stunning organizing by different people all over the country, some of those details got out. The circumstances of Lucia uh, Vega Jimenez's death. You've mentioned some names already. Abdurim, the, the Somali fellow who was um, who died in CBSA custody in 2015. And I know um, the Allo family has a lawyer and they're fighting, but you know lawyers don't do things alone. There needs to be grassroots mobilization around it. But he 100%. Right, and pointed out that uh, there's no health issues that Allo had. It's just how can how can this man walk onto a plane with two CBS agents and then walk off dead. And mm-hmm. I don't think uh, the Calgary police is enough to investigate it. Again, uh, we're into like, changing the world that this is about, but then at the same time, we need to provide people with facts so they understand the injustice of it also. Calgary is another <laughs> flashpoint for us. I mean, we have a lot of links to Southern Ontario, Montreal, Vancouver, uh, but we need to make those links to some of these uh, more isolated settings where, where these, these injustices are happening. So uh, we'll find out more information that we can, and hopefully we can t- touch base together in the coming months about uh, not just uh, justice in these cases, but abolishing the CBSA and abolishing the whole world that creates detention centers and prisons. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it, this case needs to, it needs to be looked at, and like, like what you're saying is 100% true. Like, there's there's so many unanswered questions and this always happens. Like when there is a death, things are, names are kept secret. The circumstances are kept secret and you always have to pull it out. Right. But like I said, like there's no civilian oversight body, even if there was a civilian oversight body, the bigger issue is that we need to keep working to abolish immigration detention as a whole. I mean, Ramos, who's, uh, who's uh, active with a uh, grassroots organizer with the end immigration detention network. Thanks for speaking with us on no borders media. Yeah, thank you for having me. You are listening to an interview with Mina Ramos of the End Immigration Detention Network, providing context and perspective on resistance to the Canada Border Services Agency and immigration detention more broadly. In the aftermath of the public confirmation of the death of Bolante Adawu Alo, killed in CBSA custody at the Calgary Airport while resisting his deportation. No Borders Media, based in Toronto and Montreal, is an autonomous left-wing media network. We share and create content that supports the struggles of communities in resistance with a focus on the self-determination struggles of Indigenous peoples, migrants, refugees, and working-class people of colour in the context of opposition to capitalism and colonialism. Some current focuses include migrant justice, resistance to borders, anti-fascism, and anarchism. We are in the early stages of our independent media project. To stay in touch, send us an email at nobordersmedianetwork at gmail.com or look for No Borders Media on Facebook. Much more to come in the coming weeks and months.